0: Good morning, friends, and welcome back to the Constructionist Podcast. I hope you're having a good morning or a good evening, and I hope you're ready for some construction to take place. Because more and more, I discover that we need to have firm foundations in order to grow up high. Paul even says in Colossians that he prays that the believers there are rooted and built up in the Lord Jesus So there's an aspect of down as well as up when we think about our spiritual life, when we think about our daily life, Uh, there's much that we need to consider when it comes to just how we make decisions, how we walk through life, how we interact with people. All of these things are very important and God looks at the heart, is what he does. So I've been inspired, I guess, lately, uh, reading through 1 Samuel the last few days. This idea that God looks at the heart, that's what he tells Samuel when Samuel goes to the family of Jesse to see about which one of Jesse's sons are gonna be the king. And when he goes there, he looks at the firstborn son and he says, oh, surely this is God's anointed. He's tall, he's handsome. And God says to Samuel, no, I haven't chosen that one. The Lord looks at the heart. He does not look at the outward appearance as man does. So this is a challenge to us. How are we to think the way God thinks, to have the mind of Christ, if we are not to look at the outward appearance? Because that's the first thing we see. That is what the whole of basically the multi-billion dollar Hollywood industry and media industry is built on, is the way someone, and even in a lot of ways, politics, the way someone looks, the way they present themselves to the people around them, uh, the way they uh, portray their their self to the world. And we are drawn to that. I mean, how many politicians do we know of that were voted into office only to find out down the road that they're involved in some sex scandal or something like that? God looks at the heart, and he knew from day one the the very essence of what that person was, that they were a certain kind of person, that he would be able to judge good or bad, depending on on the condition of the person's heart, the quality of a person's heart. So today we want to look at 1 Samuel chapter, let me pull it up, uh, 14, 1 Samuel 14. So this idea of examining the heart... We wanna look at Jonathan, who's the son of Saul, and what was his heart all about, is really what we wanna do. And so there's a very important element to this story that we're gonna read, this historical account of this thing that actually happened. Uh, Jonathan, let me give you some background. Jonathan is the son of Saul. Now, he would have potentially been the next king, but in the previous chapter of 1 Samuel, we're told that Saul made a, a bad sacrifice. And in his sacrifice, uh, Samuel came and he said, what are you doing? You, you can't make this sacrifice. You're not a priest. You're not able to do it. Uh, the circumstances are wrong. There's, a, there's wrong things about it. And so he says to Saul, God is removing the kingdom from you and he's gonna give it to somebody else. So this has already been presented now in the in the lineage of the story, that Saul is, is basically out, but we don't know who the next one is. And so the very next chapter now is Jonathan, this amazing account of Jonathan, and he goes into this battle uh, and he wins. And so you think, well, maybe Jonathan is gonna be the one who succeeds. He's the second. So I wanna point out now this idea of the second. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us this amazing account of the resurrection and what it's going to look like. And he talks about seeds growing up into beautiful plants and that this is all a picture of the resurrection, that the way we live now is not the way we will live then. So there's sort of a, a natural and then a later coming spiritual. And that's a principle that I've considered for many years, first the natural, then the spiritual there is much in the world around us that teaches us about spiritual things and all of it builds together to create a full world view that the bible then um, corroborates so we can see the world around us based on how the bible presents the world around us in the natural and then in through that we can start seeing uh, more 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 clearly the spiritual truth or the spiritual reality Behind the world in which we live. So we're told in uh, Colossians chapter 3, I think, to have the mind of Christ. So this is something that we are to strive for. Is to strive for the mind of Christ. To strive for a renewed mind. To strive for God working through us uh, according to his power. Now that is going to be something that we're going to see in this chapter. Jonathan steps forward at this moment. And then God acts. So Jonathan presents himself, God acts. So let's have a read of it. Uh, Jonathan is the son of Saul, it says in verse 1. So he is a, he's the second, he's the son of. So Saul first, then Jonathan, the, the, the firstborn, uh, we, as far as we can tell, and, but he is the one coming after. So back to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul then goes on to say that there was a first man, Adam, and a second, Jesus So Paul is stating this idea of a first-second. Adam was the first who came for the natural, and he was the father of all humans biologically, and we have inherited sin through him. But then Jesus comes, and he is uh, the first of a spiritual lineage, to put it that way. So throughout the scriptures, we have firsts and seconds. We have Adam and Jesus, obviously, that Paul mentions. We also have Cain and Abel. Cain was born first. Abel was born second. Cain's offering was not accepted by the Lord. Abel's was. Cain overpowered and killed his brother. Abel uh, becomes the first martyr, in effect. Um, And so, but he's a second. He was approved by God. Cain was not. You've got uh, Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael was born first, but as Paul explains in Galatians, he was born of the flesh. Whereas Isaac was born of promise, or in other words, sort of of the spirit. And so Ishmael is first, Isaac is second. Same thing with uh, Esau and Jacob. They were twins, but Esau was born first. He was someone who was driven by his sort of physical and earthly passions, and yet Jacob was always striving to gain um, the things that God, that sort of in the natural were presented to Esau because he was firstborn, but he was never able to fully embrace those things. He despised them. And so because he despised them, Jacob came along and sort of grabbed the birthright and grabbed the inheritance and these kind of things. And so, but he's the second. But then God eventually does come along because he was striving with God and wrestling with God constantly. He becomes this sort of picture of prayer for us. And then he receives uh, the greater blessing in the end. So you see how this works. First, second. And there's other examples I could give, but those are just the ones I'm throwing out right now for sake of time so jonathan now is sort of uh he is a picture of this second he is the second so he so let's read it one day jonathan the son of saul said to the young man who carried his armor come let us go over to the philistine garrison on the other side but he did not tell his father saul was staying in the outskirts of gibeah in the pomegranate cave at migron the people who were with him were about 600 men. Including Ahijah, the son of Ahi, Tobik, brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord, and Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of one was Bozes, the name of the other was Sine. So he's kind of going between this, this, uh, these high rocks. It's sort of this, it's a pass is what it is. But there's these high rocks on both sides, so it's a very narrow channel that he's going through. And the locals had named one side Bozes, and they named the other side Sene. And Bozes means glistening white, and Sene means thorny. So you, you're going, <laughs> they're going through this thing, and it's got these two names. And why they're given those names, I don't know. Um, it's just what they're called. So maybe it's somehow the way they looked, or they reflect the sun, or who knows what. And so, the, so as Jonathan and his armor bearer are going through, we kind of have this phrase, stuck between a rock and a hard place. So, Jonathan is between something glorious and glistening and white, and something thorny. Okay. Now, this is a point that I want to bring out, in that we'll see shortly that Jonathan uh, wants to do this thing for the Lord and we'll see what his armor bearer says. So let's read that and then I'll get back to the to the stones, to the big rocks. The one crag, verse five, on the north in front of Michmash and the other on the south in front of Gibba. So I think the one on the north is probably the one named Bozes and maybe that's why it's named glistening white because the it's facing, it's on the north facing south and so it catches the sun all day long. So maybe that's why it's called that because it's the brighter of the two. Verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by few or by many. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Can you imagine the... This conversation, he, Jonathan's like, we're going to go and attack some Philistines because God can do it no matter what. I mean, what what is it telling him to do this? There's no command. It's no, there's no, thus says the Lord to Jonathan, go and attack the Philistines. Jonathan's just packed. He's like, you know, woke up that morning and said to his armor bearer, hey, let's go and get some Philistines. And they just sort of talked about it for a minute and off they went. They didn't tell anybody. They just split so when they get there, and the armor-bearer is completely with them, right? He's totally with them. So think about this in the, in the higher sense, the, as I explained before about the second. Jonathan is a second, so he comes after Saul, so he's in the category of a sort of type of Jesus Christ. The armor-bearer is not named. We have no idea what his name is. Uh, But he's bearing the armor, so he's in charge of the helmet and the sword and making sure things are sharp and ready to go and there's no defects in any of that stuff. And he goes along with Jonathan. And, I mean, later in the book of Samuel, we see that uh, Saul had an armor-bearer as well. So uh, Goliath had an armor-bearer. So it was sort of a standard practice in military circles to have uh, an armor-bearer if you were of a certain rank. So Jonathan was of that rank. He had an armor-bearer. That's just normal, that right there. But bear in mind that in the New Testament, Paul talks about the armor of God, sword of the spirit, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, shield of faith, belt of truth, these kind of things. So who's, who's sort of working with you, looking after the armor or wanting you to be part of the armor, uh, have the right armor and win and, and making sure it's all in the right condition? Who's working with you or in you, I should say, for that to be a reality? Well, seeing as how the sword is called the sword of the spirit, I would suggest that this unnamed armor bearer is a picture of the spirit. So Jesus willingly laid his life down in order for God's purposes to be accomplished. Jonathan's coming along and he's saying, we're going to get these Philistines. They're in effect living in land that it was promised to us. So we have every right to go after them and to biff them up. And the armor bearer, so this is Jesus now saying, we're gonna gonna conquer the enemy. The armor bearer, who is a picture of the Holy Spirit, he's coming along in absolute and total agreement with the Son. And he says, right, let's do it. I am with you, heart and soul, he says. So this gives us now this picture of a sort of um, free will offering. We'll put it that way. So in Leviticus chapter one, there is described the free will offering, or some versions call it the burnt offering. But there are no regulations on when this offering should be given. It is free will. You just decide you want to give it. And so when you decide you want to give it, you get your ox or your goat or your pigeon, and you go off to the tabernacle, and you say, I want to, I, just, I love the Lord, I want to give Him a free will offering because it's just pouring out of my heart. I want the Lord to have this offering. So, how do we do that in our day-to-day life? Now, Jonathan here, no one told him to go and do this. He, it wasn't a thus says the Lord. He's not under orders from Saul. He just woke up that morning and decided with his armor bearer, hey, let's go and biff up some Philistines. Because God can save by many or by few. We're going to go and do this thing. We already know that this land had been promised to us uh, Israelites. And so, there's no reason why we can't just go and biff up these Philistines. So this is how we ought to be thinking. We ought to be thinking, hey, this is what the Bible says. It says that uh, to do all things without complaining and arguing. It says, that, do not be anxious about anything, but present your supplications to the Lord. It says that we are complete in Christ. It says we should have a renewed mind. It says that we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. It says all of these things. It's written right there for us to read. And these are all statements that God has made that we can now partake of, enter into His rest. There's all sorts of things that would allow us to have uh, a greater victory over our lives and our besetting sins and our, uh, the things that we've struggled with for years and years and years. There's a freedom that can be acquired through simply having this mindset of, it's there in the scriptures, God said it, so it must be true. I'm going to go after it, no matter how hard it is. Now here's where we're going back to the two big stones, okay, the two rocky outcrops. One's called glistening white, the other one is called thorny. And when we get to this moment in our lives, this is what we have to fight with. We're sitting here saying, ah! I see the glory that is being presented to me in the New Testament. I see the glory that God wants to make real and alive inside of me. I can read Colossians chapter 1 and 2. I can read Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3. I can see Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 where it says, Enter into His rest. I can see all these things. But man, I have to actually put this into practice. I have to actually stand firm and let God do the work. That's kind of... That's hard to do that. There's a glory, but then there's this thorny sort of... uh, That just doesn't sound like something I want to do, really. Because I'm lazy or I can't be bothered. or Actually, I've kind of grown to be just content in my struggle with that thing or another. Insert your own whatever it is. Let your conscience tell you what thing or other is frustrating and holding you back okay we all have something there so what does jonathan do jonathan passes through this and he says i'm going for the philistines i'm going for the promise of god and the armor bearer says i'm with you buddy let's do this thing and so they move forward and it says uh Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you a thing. They're kind of taunting him a little bit. I think they had every intention of just, you know, knocking him off or whatever. They didn't know who these guys were. They just knew they're Israelites who must be stupid. And then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor-bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. Now imagine this, you know, he's just heading up there and he's just like whacking different Philistines, knocking them off balance and then the armor bearer is coming up beside and just decap, you know, and <laughs> just decapitating, I'm probably not doing that, but dispatching of each one of these Philistines as they go. So they're working together and, you know, Jonathan's doing the, the, the main attack and then the armor bearer is coming up after and sort of finishing them off. Pretty exciting stuff, really. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furrow's length of an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And then it goes on to talk about how Saul's watchman saw this, and then he went after them, and there was this victory that took place. And then there were some other issues with... um, You can read the rest of the story, but it gets a little bit more intense later on. Uh, But for our purposes right now, it it kick-started this bigger battle. It took Jonathan to stand up and say, the Lord is able. The Lord is able to do this thing. And I'm the one who's going to go out there and basically let God work through me, is what happened. And I'm intrigued by this idea that in the middle of all this, God himself comes in and there's an earthquake. And it shook everybody. There are multiple earthquakes in the scripture, and they always have a kind of eschatology tag to them, you could say. I call it an eschatological tag. But what it means is, is it's telling us something about God acting on earth. So when Jesus was crucified, there was an earthquake. It talks about various earthquakes in the book of Revelation. Uh, back in the old days with the prophets, there were uh, I, I want to say the book of Amos. <coughs> excuse me, talks about an earthquake that happened, and uh, there's other I can't remember. Get a concordance out, pop out your old Bible app, type in earthquake or the earthquake or something like that, uh, and see where earthquakes took place. It's quite interesting, different locations where it happened, but they are sort of moments where God himself intervenes on things and shakes everything up to show the world or the people that are there that he is involved in this activity that's taking place. So this is what Jonathan does, and this is our challenge. It's my challenge, it's your challenge. Are we so uh, imbibed, so soaked? Is the word of Christ dwelling in us richly enough to do a Jonathan? to do the free will offering. To step out and say, I see what's written in the scriptures. I am going to live it out in practice on a day-to-day basis. And when something strikes me, I'm gonna stand faithful for the Lord. And I'm even gonna take a bigger step forward and I'm gonna say, this is a free will offering to the Lord. This is something that I'm not being called or required to do. It's something that I am doing for the Lord because I love Him and I want to see His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That's where we're at really, and that's what we should be striving toward. So, pray through this, see where you stand, see how you can be strengthened, because remember when you go and actually lift weights, you start out small, maybe you can only lift 10 pounds, but you do that today and then a couple days later go back and do it again and maybe it's the same results. Go back a couple days later and do it again. But before long, you're lifting 11 pounds. And then after another week or two, you're lifting 12. And then after a little bit longer, you're lifting 15. And eventually, you get up to the level where it's like, man, I can lift like 80 pounds with one arm. So it's about uh, uh, strength training, that kind of thing. Remember, we're constructing something. Construction, you just don't show up and bam, the building's done overnight. No, it's a process. You build it up slowly and slowly, but you have to have that firm foundation. Read the Scripture. Fill your mind with the Scripture. Memorize the Scripture. Make yourself alive to the scriptures. that you engage with it and you look at the world through the lens of the Scripture. Don't worry about mechanics and how it all works. Let God do that kind of thing. You just be obedient to the Lord and you put yourself in a position where you can say, this is what the Word of God says, this is how I'm going to live my life. And I think you will be greatly blessed. So, God bless you, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you were challenged and encouraged by what you heard today, please feel free to share it with any friends or family you like. You're welcome to email us at CalebTheElectrician at gmail.com. That's CalebTheElectrician at gmail.com. And remember, to leave a comment at iTunes, Spotify or anywhere that you listen to podcasts.